Our tour around the Colvin has been fascinating, just as described. There's a haunting beauty in the sand hills, and it shocked me how different this place is to the Colvin I know in the 21st century. I'm left feeling completely out of place. We settled for a picnic to eat our rations of mutton pie and lemonade, and we Hamish regaled us with a really strange tale of the curse from Isabel Gaudi. I think this story is a mix of old Shakespeare and Walter Scott plays that's been blended with the local lore, but it captivated me. So I'll just play the tape as it was told to me over Lemonade. So, we Hamish, you were telling me about the laird who brought a curse upon himself. I, the old Kinnard laird, got cursed from a witch. And who was that laird? Well, legend tells us of Walter Kinnard. He was the laird of the Culban lands way back when there was still beautiful, fertile land to be lairding over. So, what happened to him? At that time, he was about 50 years old, and at the height of his schemings. And he had a great excess of pride and ambition. His fierce eyes showed that he had no twinge of conscience, and he would stop at nothing to attain more power. Walter had become mean-tempered after the death of his wife, and it had rotted at his soul. However, their daughter, Helen, was thought to be the sweetest woman in all of the land. Helen looked just like her mother, with auburn hair and rosy cheeks, and everyone thought fondly of Helen, because she was always smiling, and so brought the light with her into any room. People would say there was no greater contrast of good and evil than to see Walter with his daughter by his side. Unfortunately for Helen though, she was a large part of Walter's plans for power. Walter intended to marry his daughter to a chief or laird that would help him rise in his social standing. However, his plan for climbing the slippery social politics of the Scottish courts were somewhat dampened by the well-known rumours that Walter of the Culban was a dreadful person, and whoever married his daughter would have to tolerate him as a ghastly father-in-law. So whilst Walter was planning to marry Helen to the noblest in all of the land, a problem arose, a bump in the road, a hole in the ship. This problem was a young, bold, and foolishly romantic lad who got in the way of this great scheme. His name was Ross, and he intended to make an impression on Helen's heart, despite only being a minor noble who her father would definitely not approve of. It all began one dark winter's night. There was a dreadful storm. The servants of Culban's great mansion all gathered around a blazing fire in the kitchen, as sleet 
and hail pattered on the small windows. Tip-tap, 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 tip-tap. That's the pattering. This is when a knock came upon the door, a very unusual occurrence at this house. The cook went to answer and found a poor musician dressed all in rags, begging for admittance. The cook was a gentle woman and on such an awful night she greatly pitied the homeless and unprotected. So when she saw this beggar, she decided to grant him entry, for he would only stay until the first peep of dawn when the storm had passed. Had Walter Kinnaird known of this kindness within his own house, he would have been greatly displeased. He was a nasty man. His daughter Helen, however, discovered the stowaway busker quite soon. Her curiosity often led her to the kitchen to speak to the people who worked in the mansion, and here she met the busker. He told her strange tales in faint whispers, and she was so enthralled to have met such a great storyteller that she did not mind that he was dressed in rags. She loved the company of this mysterious busker. As all the kitchen staff went to their beds, Helen stayed up late to hear the tales of the world beyond the Kilburn, and to listen to the quiet songs of this rogue busker. And so the storm passed, and the busker left the next morning. Several weeks later, and Helen was often seen in the dusk of the evening. She would thread her way like a fairy sprite towards the witch's hollow. This was a small vale bordering the lands of the Culban and completely surrounded by small hills and hillocks, linked together and covered with long, waving broom. It was said that in this place, a witch had once lived. A desperate woman had sold her soul to the devil, and then had been perpetually haunted by the agents of darkness. The servants believed they saw Helen going to this cursed dwelling, and they feared greatly that she was partaking in witchcraft. Although she always appeared cheerful and filled with joy, they were worried that was because she was going to this dreadful place. The old ruin of the Witch of the Culban. Well, that place was so cursed that Helen herself might become an ugly midnight hag, like the witch had been. Helen's absence caught the suspicious eyes of her father. And so he followed her one night, stealthily so he could not be seen, and he watched her as she entered the witch's dwelling. He crept up to the only window of the house and looked through to spy his daughter within, being held and kissed by some busker. The father didn't know this, but this busker had sheltered in the mansion during the storm and had set up a secret rendezvous with Helen. Not the fiercest volcano the moment before its eruption glowed with more heat than did Walter's anger. He instantly forced the door open and rushed in with his sword drawn, running towards the busker. Helen, in absolute fear and terror, 
rushes between her father and her lover. In a tragic accident, she receives the thrust of her father's sword that was intended for her secret lover. Soon the floor is scarlet with her heart's blood. Both her lover and her father looking on in horror as the sweet young woman bleeds out. The busker's rags fell to the floor to reveal Ross, the minor noble who would never have been good enough for Helen. It had transpired that the two had fallen in love. They had met in the old witch's hollow, a secret place to be together. The passion had now cost Helen the greatest expense of her very life itself. And at this point, the ghost of the witch returned to the hollow, summoned by the heartbreak of this moment. Her spirit stirred. And the witch looked Walter in his eyes, and with all of her wrath, she cursed him. Oh, miserable wretch! Thou hast blighted and crushed the fairest flower in the garden of Murray. Thou hast dried up the fountain of thy life and extinguished the light of the house of Kinnaird. Thy best blood reeks upon thy murderous steel. Thou art traitor to thy kin. Her voice waxed louder and more shrill than before, and her arms waved in dramatic motions. Be gone! You monster! Return to thy cheerless dwelling and repent thee in sackcloth at the altar of St. John in yonder abbey. For I curse the sands of the salt sea to raise in a monument to thy murdered daughter. You're only burn. Between the horns of two elf bulls, the sands shall rise to the tallest pinnacle of the culbin. And so... Generations later, the curse came to pass. There was a dreadful hurricane, and two bulls of the Canard Estates became enchanted by fairy powers, and grew large and great, and behaved as though possessed by demons. They began a long and deadly battle, tossing in the air the marim grass, every rooted thing until the hills were bleak. Massive clouds of dust arose from the fatal spot and at the dead hour of midnight were carried in great gusts across all the lands of Culbin. The elf bulls retreated to the hill of the fairies as the morning dawned and by this time even the tallest trees in the orchard were covered in sand. A few turrets and nothing more could be seen of Canard's mansion house, poking up hopelessly from the newly formed desert. Every living thing on the estate has found a tomb under the monument of Helen Canard. The witch, do you know her name? The one who summoned the elf bulls, the fairy bulls. You know of many witches who summon elf bulls? I know one, and only one. And what's her name? Isabel. Isabel Gaudi. Well, that must be the witch then. Is it not almost time for you to be leaving now? 
I, I should be. Thanks for speaking to me, Hamish. You're an absolute treasure. Ach, someone has to speak for the dunes. Cheers, Hamish. Ah, good luck, lass. I hope you find what you're searching for. A lot of things buried in those dunes. A lot of lost things, indeed. Haste you back. As I leave the Calvin, I imagine the village buried under the sand beneath my feet. We Hamish told me that some people have seen chimneys poking out of the sand dunes, and that if a person were to speak into the chimney, then echoes from ghosts past will respond. My heart beats faster as I think of this, and the thought of returning to 1662. I'm going to think carefully about what I pass on to Isabel. The desert is truth, that is undeniable, but the stories, the folklore. Isabel Gaudi is no more of an evil midnight hag than I am. It's hard not to think of the land as a tomb, that it holds on to something dead. I think I need to arrange my thoughts. But on the plus side, I've got a message from my producer. Hi Annie, just a quick message to let you know that I just got you booked to go back into 1662 now. Good luck, don't get burnt for doing anything weird. Bye.